Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Mike McFall. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Henry. Great to be here. Great to have you. Mike's going to share tips and advice uh, for starting and growing a small business. And we'll also talk a little bit about franchising based on his over 23 years of experience, primarily with Big B Coffee, but also, as you'll hear, um, the experiences you've had working with prospective entrepreneurs at the University of Michigan. If you want to receive more information about the How of Business, including the links to the show notes page for this episode and how you can continue to support my show and receive exclusive content and discounts through a Patreon membership, just visit thehowofbusiness.com. So Michael J. McFall is the co-founder and co-CEO of Big B Coffee. Big B Coffee is a fast-growing $200 million coffee franchise with over 300-plus locations across the Midwest. And he's also the author of the book, Grind, a no-BS approach to take your business from concept to cash flow. If Mike's business philosophy can be distilled down to its essence, it would be this, be brave, be humble, be thoughtful, be aware of others, and be yourself. As I mentioned, he's also uh, teaches a class called Finding Your Vision at the Center for Entrepreneurship at the University of Michigan, and we'll chat about that a little bit more in a moment as well. Mike lives in the Ann Arbor, Michigan area, and so once again, Mike McFall, welcome to the show. Thanks, Henry. It's great to be here. Looking forward to this. Absolutely. A lot's for you to share. And so I'm going to try to, to get some of that from you and, and, and here in the next 45 minutes or so. So thanks again for making the time. I'd like to start with your journey from what I've gathered from your bio and history and doing the research. You started pretty early in life as a barista with the original Big B Coffee. Is that correct? Tell me about that, if you would. Yes, sir. We, uh, I, I started as a barista in our first store working uh, f- directly for my partner, uh, who's now been my business partner for going on, t- on uh, 25 years. Um, but, you know, I started there as a barista and, you know, frankly, fell in love with the business uh, and really sensed an opportunity. And so when my, my partner approached me about taking, a, you know, a, a more sizable uh uh, position within the company and becoming a manager and so on. Uh, you know, I, 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 I seized on that opportunity. Uh, it wasn't what I was uh, there to do. I was at the university working on a research project. It, this was in, this was in East Lansing, uh, at Michigan state university. Uh, but you know, one, my partner and I, um, ended up uh, settling on the fact that we wanted to become partners and, and grow the business. I, I left my uh, position at the university and went full on into Big B. And here we are uh, 20, 25 plus years later. Interesting. What, what was it that you were doing at the university again? What was the plans with that? Where were you going with that? Well, I was, I was frankly, I was headed back to graduate school. I was 24 years old. And so I was headed back to graduate school. Uh, I was working on a very specific project that was getting, you know, a lot of, uh, we were publishing a lot from that project. 
And, you know, it was, it was really just, it was a very interesting, it was really interesting. It was about uh, uh, remote learning. And so they had satellite televisions in remote areas and we were researching the impact of that. But anyway, that's a story for another day. Interesting. Uh, but uh, this was back in, that would have been 1996. Um, and, uh, uh, but I, I was really preparing to go back to graduate school and get, getting ready for that. Did you have aspirations at that time though, of, of being your own boss, of owning a business? Well, that's all I ever knew, uh, you know, and that, it sounds a little strange, but, you know, I look back on my childhood and, and, you know, my dad was an entrepreneur. My mom was a professor at Michigan State. Um, my dad was an entrepreneur, you know, my best friends, both, you know, whole series of my very, very close friends growing up, everybody was an entrepreneur. And it just, you know, it was strangely, it was just sort of what, what you did uh, in my world. And so it wasn't, it wasn't like a, a, a um, you know, I had to go through this process of deciding whether or not I wanted to be an entrepreneur. It just kind of was in my blood and it was what I was and what I was going to do. Just wasn't sure how it was going to manifest. Sure. Yeah. You didn't know how, how to actually execute on it at that point in time. But then this opportunity comes along with this coffee business. At the time, it was just a single location that your partner heart started or clarify yeah. that for me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, I, I talk to people all the time that, you know, a big part of being an entrepreneur uh, is understanding what is and what isn't an opportunity. And so, uh, you know, I sensed this, I understood it. There was a lot of arrows pointing in the right direction in terms of why this was a good opportunity. Uh, and I was smart enough to, uh, to grab onto it and run with it. Yeah, no doubt. So uh, one of the things that's always curious to me is working in partnership. That's what I've done mostly in my business career. And I prefer working with the partner, but of course it has its challenges and I've had partnerships that have done well and others that have not done well, but what, what are your thoughts? What do you find now uh, that uh, you, you prefer working in partnership and how do you make it work? Well, yeah, I, I believe in, in, um, in partnerships for sure. And I think that it's just, you have to be really mature and, and self-aware and, you know, the important it's, it's like being married uh, to a spouse and, you know, you have to spend a lot of time and energy making sure the other person's okay. And the other person is getting what they need uh, out of the, out of the relationship and out of the business. Um, And, you know, the other thing too, is that you you need to make sure that that partner is bringing something to the table that, that you don't bring. And my, my business partner and I are very different people and, and that's a great thing. And uh, you know, there's, um, and I think the other thing that we recognize maybe 15 years ago, we had a really important conversation, which was, you know, the business was growing pretty well at that point. And we had a conversation that went something like this, which was, you know, what's the biggest risk that this company faces? And we recognized that the biggest risk was if he and I got in a fight. Mm -hmm. And so we, at that moment, uh, we just vowed to never get in a fight. (laughs) And it sounds so simple, but you know, there's too much at stake, right? I mean, we got 20, 25 years of building this thing. Right. And, uh, and, and it's, it's, uh, there's too much at stake. And, and the last thing in the world we want to do is, is, uh, you know, break, uh, what we've spent so long building. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's, that's a challenge and, and quite a success in and of itself to have been working together for that many years and, and share the, the CEO role 
not an easy thing to accomplish. And as you've touched on, what I've found has been key is to have that open communication. I mean, over those 23 years, you change, right? Things happen in your life that impact how you see what you want to get out of the business. And that's, it's hard to stay in alignment on that. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, open, authentic conversation, you know, and, and probably the, you know, one of the great stories in our time was, you know, for many, many years, Bob was the CEO uh, and I was the president of the company. And, you know, that was, we were equal partners, meaning we had the same shares in the business. Um, And, you know, we did that for a long time. And then I I started to have a feeling and a need that I wanted to have the C-level title. I wanted to be recognized for the position that I had, which was more, you know, we, we co-led the company. And, and so I brought that to the table and it was a conversation that he and I had for about two years where we really talked through it. And it was very sensitive, right? Yeah. A lot of ego involved. Um, I was very clear that this was an ego thing for me, uh, but he was very good to me. He took care of me. Um, you know, we worked through it and we ended up settling on becoming co-CEOs. And it's, you know, we've been in that role now for it's got to be a decade and uh, it really went well. But, but the thing that was important was I, I wasn't, I wasn't in a huge hurry, right? It was about the conversation about making sure we were on the same page uh, and getting lined up in a way that would work for, for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. One more question on this, because this co-CEO part of it often is kind of the default scenario that as a small business owner, you're, you're find yourself in when you have partners. So do you all have a delineation as to departments or types of decisions that goes to one or the other, or do you really co-decide on all of the big decisions? Yeah, that's a great question. And the root of success, to, in my opinion, is that you, you dele- uh, delineate roles. And so for 20 years, my business partner did marketing, uh, store level operations, uh, and I did um, franchise sales, finance, and legal. Uh, and we just, there was a big firm line there. Right. And mm-hmm. I handled my business. He handled his business. We didn't meddle, uh, in, in each other's worlds, hardly at all. Uh, you know, and, and, and that was important. Right. And, and we would, we used each other as, uh, you know, as counselors and coaches, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, we really, we had a very firm uh, delineation there. And if you don't, uh, and everybody's involved in everything, uh, you know, that's a, that's a mess. Yeah. Yeah. That's been my experience as well. All right. So tell me a little bit more about your involvement with the university of Michigan at the center for entrepreneurship. Yeah. I, I mean, it's really cool. I love, I love teaching and, you know, it, I, I get really invigorated uh, being in the classroom with, with the young people that are in these classes. And, you know, it gives me uh, a whole bunch of confidence that the world's going to be okay. Uh, when I hang out with these, <laughs> when I hang out with these young leaders, you know, right. they're, they're really incredible. Uh, and so, you know, I get more out of it than they do. I know. Um, but you know, the classes, it's an interesting class. It's about, you know, if, if you are interested in the concept of entrepreneurship and you don't really know what uh, a business that you'd want to start, we kind of walk through, we do walk through uh, this, this series of uh, systems uh, that will uh, put you in a place where you're going to have a, a real good understanding of a potential business uh, that you might want to start. Uh, and, and it really all start, you know, the whole process starts with solving a problem in the world. And, and to me, that's the essence of entrepreneurship. That's what we do as entrepreneurs is we solve a problem and then people are willing to pay us to solve that problem. Uh, 
Yeah. And, and that's business, right? And, and it's, there's no, there's no, and if, there, there's no um, magic to it. There's no secrets. It's, you are solving people's problems through entrepreneurship. And, and, you know, I, I, I love that way of, of thinking. And then if you stay committed to that, and you stay committed to taking care of people and solving their problems, uh, to me, the business always um, is in a healthier place when you stay focused on that, that piece of it. Right, right. Yeah, great, great point there. And we'll come back to obviously the the what you're learning from working from your, with younger people. But you know what I find, Mike, is that when you do so, the other thing that's so inspirational is you realize, you know what, the future is okay. We've got a lot of yep. really bright young people, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. So that, that's what's goodness. also encouraging. I know that's what's so encouraging. Uh, all right. So one of the questions I always ask is, you've been a you've been a uh, your own boss for some time now in the sense that you're a business owner, what does that do for you now? I mean, you're a lifelong entrepreneur. So sometimes this question is a little harder for you to answer, but what is it about being your own boss that works for you, that it does for you? Well, I, I think, you know, for me, there's a, there's a few reasons I love being an entrepreneur, uh, being my own boss. Uh, you know, one of which is that I get to live in a creative space every day. So if I wake up today and, and I have some beautiful idea that I want to pursue, there's really nobody I have to check in with, <laughs> maybe with the exception of my wife. Uh, but, you know, like, I, you know, it's like it's I just love living in that space where, you know, I don't have to take something to committee and get approval for a budget to whatever, you know, as long as as long as I have, you know, the resources at hand and, and I want to pursue something, I can pursue it. And I, and I love that. The, the other thing that to me about being your own boss or being an entrepreneur is you get to create the culture within the organization that you show up to work in every day. Mm. And, and to me, that's super powerful, right? So I, I tell my, my students all the time that, that if you want to have bowls of green M&Ms out throughout the company and you only want green M&Ms, <laughs> that's your prerogative, right? right? It's your company. And, and so with that comes a lot of responsibility. Uh, but at the same time, you get to create the culture you show up to work in every day. And to me, if that is one of the most important pieces of why you would ever want to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then also though, is the, there's no limit to the upside. And I had a close relationship with Fred DeLuca of Subway. And, you know, he started as, I think he was 16 when he opened his first sandwich shop. And when he died, there were 44,000 sandwich shops. And there was nobody telling him he couldn't open another sandwich shop. Yeah. There was no, there was no, you know, as an entrepreneur, if the marketplace wants to buy your product, they will buy it and they'll buy more and more and more and more of it. And, and there's no, there's no artificial limitation around your growth. There's no, there's no limit to the upside. And to me, that is, it's just like completely invigorating, you know, like I, I want to sell billions and billions and billions of dollars worth of coffee. You know, yeah. that's, that's what I'm doing. Uh, and, and why wouldn't I? Right. Uh, and then, you know, I think the last piece is for me anyway, why, why I love being my own boss or being an entrepreneur is I love when people inside of my organization people that have signed up to be employees to work with us when they have successes and they thrive. And it is, to me, it's the most fulfilling part uh, is an organization that you started and that other people work within that they are utilizing that organization to build powerful lives for themselves. 
And when they have victories, that's they're more fulfilling than your own victories. And to me, that is again just the most powerful stuff. Yeah, great takeaways. And that's that last part is because you you become you and your partner have become leaders. And as a leader, that's that's what you look for. How do you allow others to flourish in their yeah. roles and empower them? But going back to your two points about culture, I think that's such a, a key one, Mike. You know, I find so many small business owners that hate the environment that they work in. And it's like, what have you done to yourself, right? Something has to change. That should be, for the most part, one of the privileges of being our own bosses. We have some control over who we work with, who we serve, who we associate with. Otherwise, what the heck are you doing to yourself, right? You're saying the entrepreneurs that you know are miserable in their own environments? Well, that happens a lot, Mike. A lot of small business owners end up in those environments, right? Yeah. And they end up, and the part of it is because they end up building a business that, you know, often it happens with that solopreneur or, you know, that, that person who was a technician and then comes over and builds a business. You know, we were chatting about books before we started the the e-myth speaks to this, right? Um, So that they end up then creating this environment of negativity over the years, and maybe the business isn't as profitable as they want to. And it's just this misery and so I see that a lot. And then the part of no limits to me, that was one of the biggest uh, motivators for me to leave the corporate world is that that someone else dictating what my limits were. I never could deal with that very well. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and I, you think about the these these athletes that make extraordinary sums, you know, and, and they do. It's they're extraordinary, but they pale in comparison to what many entrepreneurs are out there doing, you know, and the upsides are just, it's phenomenal. Yeah. And just the excitement of that, as you said, the opportunity and at the end of the day also, which is the challenge, it's up to me, right? So I, it's up to my efforts, a little bit of luck, I think, but my efforts and, and, and making it happen, but at least I have the opportunity to go reach for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's about. Yep. All right, your book, Grind, which I mentioned again, Grind, a no BS approach to take your business from concept to cash flow. Why did you write the book and who is it for, ideally? Well, I think it's for your audience. Um, and so it, it, that's who I was focused on, people that are interested in uh, starting starting a business or people that have started businesses and they're in the very beginning stage. Uh, and you know, here, here's why I wrote the book. I, I I spent a lot of my life reading and I, I really never found too many works out there that were written by people in the midst of startup. And, and so your a lot of your business books out written out there written by either, you know, the, the Uber successful uh, entrepreneurs who are looking back on startup from, you know, their private jet with, you know, nine figure net worth, or they're written by academics. And, you know, and, and academics to me, they serve a huge, powerful purpose, but they, they lack the, the, the savviness of, of actually having been in a startup. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to catch the essence of what it feels like, uh, what your mentality needs to be, and how you should be approaching a startup uh, as the entrepreneur day in and day out. And I didn't, I didn't know of any other work out there that did that. And so that's what I, that's what I try to tackle. Yeah, excellent. A couple points to chat about from the book you make, uh, I mean, there's at least one whole chapter on it, but a lot of emphasis on what you refer to as due diligence uh, to quote, so you quote, 
I want people to do hundreds of hours of due diligence, end quote. So let's just start there and, and talking a little bit about the book. Tell me about that and why due diligence. First of all, let's define that if you would. What do you mean by that? And then why is it so important? Well, I, you know, it's interesting because I'm, I'm, my second book right now is in, is in editing. Is and, that right? Yeah. And it's, it's, I have chapter, uh, it's a book on management leadership. And then chapter one also is about due diligence. And I just, I just went round the rosy pole with the editor because she really doesn't like my utilization of the term due diligence. And, okay. and, and here, but here's my point. It's a little bit of a play on words. And, and here, here's, here's the, here's the idea. People spend countless hours doing due diligence in relation to a new business and business startup. So they research, you know, competition and pricing and, you know, market forces. And, you know, they, they, they'll, they'll spend hundreds of hours researching. They leave out to me the most important ingredient in relation to the success of the business, which is due diligence on themselves. And so when, when you are looking at a business, you have to do work around what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And then you want to, you want to leverage those strengths and then you want to support yourself where you have areas of weakness. And, and, and people don't, people underestimate how important you as the entrepreneur are to the success of the business. And if you don't figure out your strengths and your weaknesses and areas that, that you, you need support on, the business is going to struggle. Businesses don't work by themselves. They don't work on their own. They take the entrepreneur, right? And, the, and, it, and so uh, that's the point of chapter one. That's the point of doing due diligence on yourself. And I put together something called the grind score. Uh, I think it's the grindscore.com. It's 24 questions that you can go in and take and you'll, you get a score at the end. And then if you're willing to give me your email, I'll give you a very detailed analysis on each question and how you answered it and how that might, you know, how that might either support, you need to get support in that area, or that's an area that you need to leverage and take advantage of, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So yeah. that's, that's the concept on chapter one and due diligence. Uh, and, and the, the grind score is an interesting, uh, it's an inter interesting exercise, not meant to be the be all end all just meant to be a, really a conversation starter around some important concepts of being an entrepreneur. Just to dig a little deeper then on this point of the due diligence on yourself and this grind score and those strengths, what, what are a couple of those key strengths that you find often lead to success as a small business owner? Well, I think I'll give you a couple. One, if you aren't planning on being the most dedicated and dependable person in your new business for three, five, seven, 10 years, don't get started. Yeah. And that's such an area of, of misunderstanding yes. and myth, Mike, isn't it? Yes. Because people are sold to this, especially with franchising, right? Because people are so, oh, no, you just, you know, you just pay the money and, and then you hire a manager and just, it just, just magically works for you. Yeah. That's to me, it's one of the great myths of, of, of entrepreneurship is that, you know, you're, you're, you're doing it for personal freedom. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I got a lot of personal freedom now but I've been at it 20, 27 years. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, but that first three, five, seven, 10 years, it's a grind. It's an yeah, absolute it's a sacrifice. Grind. You got to be willing to sacrifice other things, other things that consume your time in particular and yes. dedicate it and give it to the business. 
Yeah. And then another concept that I'm really, uh, that I think is incredibly important, important is if you aren't the most enthusiastic, energetic person about your business, uh, don't get started. Okay. And that's, this is this area that sometimes people refer to as passion. Do you think people get that those two things mixed up? Yeah, I, I think, you know, yes, I think it's really helpful to be passionate about it. And, and, and I guess passion leads to being fired up, but you got to be fired up, right? Like you got to show up and be ready to go for it every single day. And because you, the you are, energy that is going to require of you, it, that's the only way you're going to find that energy, right? Day in, yes. day out. Yeah. You're the sun. Think of yourself as the sun for your business. You provide the energy for your business. And if you aren't ready for that, if you aren't prepared for that, it's going to be a struggle. Yeah. And that, like I said, like if that's not you, if that's not your personality, then you're going to need to supplement that because you're going to have to have that energy source from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so those are two things. I mean, I could keep going. You know, to me, focus is critically important. So many entrepreneurs, I mean, my business partner and I woke up every single day for 20 plus years trying to sell one more cup of coffee tomorrow than we did today, period. That is boring, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like that, but that's what it takes what to it takes, grow yeah. a big business, right? Like uh, we, you know, when I started, we were selling under 300 cups of coffee a day, right? That, that was when we, when I get, when I entered the business as a barista uh, today, we're selling over a hundred thousand cups a day. And like, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. But it took 20 years of focus. We didn't go off in the weeds on all these different things and ideas. And entrepreneurs are so prone to that. But you got to fight that, right? That I call it sometimes that shiny object syndrome when I want to I want to expand or expand the menu, for example, or whatever, instead of saying staying hyper focused on what it is that you do best. Well, can I just tell a quick story? Absolutely. A friend of mine opened a pizza shop with a buddy of his from high school. And it was struggling. This the, his, the friend from high school had been a manager of a pizza uh, shop for years inside of a different brand. They opened their own pizza shop. Uh, it was struggling. He called me and he said, hey, listen, we've got our building. It's a little bit too big. I'd like to carve out 1,500 square feet. I'm going to put a big B in uh, with the pizza shop. Uh, he was all excited about it. This was going to solve his problem. And I told him he was crazy. Mm-hmm. I said, if, you, if your pizza guy can't figure out how to sell pizzas, do you think adding specialty coffee to that equation is going to help the business make him focus on selling pizzas. If he can't, if, if a pizza guy can't figure out how to sell pizzas, you got to shut the thing down and move on. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, no, that's, that's such a, such, so dead on speaking of that, just to continue on, on this point of the, the focus there's, I, I know there's some franchises, for example, that require you to be owner operated to at least when you get started, what are your thoughts on that as it relates to this point of focus? Well, uh, we're pretty extreme on it, actually. Um, we require you as a new franchise owner to work six hours a day on the floor uh, in one of our three positions with an apron on uh, for your first year. And so it's six hours a day, either working the cash register or working the espresso machine. Um, and we think it's fundamental to being able to build a successful business. Yeah. And so if you're, you know, if, if you want to put together a, a group of doctors and uh, make the investment and hire a manager to run the business for you, uh, that's not a scenario that we entertain. Mm-hmm. And, and we believe that 
in order to successfully manage a large business, you have to understand the intricacies, the nuts and bolts of the core business itself. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. I want to come back to due diligence because, Mike, I want to get your thoughts. The thing that I do find, you know, you mentioned people put in hours and hours of due diligence. But what I actually find is that often people don't do enough due diligence because it's not easy, right, to go and, <laughs> and put all these, the, you know, put your financial projections together and really put it together and, and to analyze the competition and analyze the market. I think sometimes people want it, want to cut it short there. Is, is that what you've seen as well? Or what are your thoughts there? Well, I think people do due diligence on the wrong things. And, and I have a pretty distinct opinion on it. Um, obviously, we've already talked about my take on doing due diligence on yourself as the right. entrepreneur. But I think the other piece of it, and, and this comes out of my class uh, with, I, I teach with a guy here, um, Brian Hayden. And this is something that he's really brought to me um, that it's really, really important to understand how you're going to generate revenue. And people get in the due diligence process, get wrapped up in a lot of things that are inconsequential to the primary issue of, are you going to be able to generate revenue? Are people going to, are they going to sign up and pay for your product? So to me, the lion's share of due diligence on a new business needs to be focused on, can you generate the revenue? And are people going to, are they going to be willing to pay for the product? Mm -hmm. And so that, that, that to me is, uh, you know, I, I used to have a, a methodology that I would coach my franchise owners on, which was, okay, so you've got a Starbucks in your town. I want you to go in four different days over a two week period. And I want you to sit there for uh, eight hour shifts. I want you to count how many cups of coffee they're selling, how many cups of coffee are going out the door, either through the drive-through window or through you know, people walking in and buying them. And then I want you to get me a very good estimate of how many cups of coffee Starbucks is selling in that marketplace. And then what, I, what we're gonna do is we're gonna cut that number in half and then we're gonna build out a performa and if you're happy with that performance, then we move forward. I see. If not, then we've got to find a different location. Right. So, so, you know, and, and, and to me, there's no real hard science behind that cut it in half thing, mm -hmm. other than I'm pretty comfortable that we're going to be able to do half the business Starbucks. Sure. Yeah. It's a rule you know? of thumb based on your experience. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but, but to me, uh, I, I know a, a, a a bunch of guys that are in the private equity space. And, you know, one of the things that, that they're talking about right now is what they want from somebody that they're interested in. I'm sorry, I said private equity. I meant venture mm. capital, okay. uh, venture capital funding. And, and what they want is, is they want a one page document that shows them how you're going to generate the revenue period. That's mm. it. And because all the other problems that a business faces, I shouldn't say all the majority of the other problems that, that businesses face can all be solved if you've got the revenue and the cash to solve them. I see. But if you don't have the revenue, if you're not selling the product, that's a big, that, yeah. that's, that's like a huge red blinking light. Good perspective. All right. The flip side of it is, and I, I suffer from this as a, a very analytical person, is overanalyzing and never at the end, what I believe is to some extent a leap of faith once you've done that due diligence. How do you know <laughs> you determine, uh, okay, you've done enough of the work. Now it's time to take, take the risk. Uh, Henry, that's the million dollar question. It is, right? isn't it? Yeah. 
really is because, you know, when, when have you done enough to know? And my answer is always, you never really know. And that's, that's for, for analytical people, that's a complicated part of this. Correct. Correct. Uh, and so, you know, we, my business, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, this sounds crazy, uh, but it hasn't really bitten me too hard yet. We really fly uh, into situations and new opportunities uh, and we use our gut, you know, and we, we really, um, and, and then the size of the risk is always a big part of, of how course. deeply you analyze it. Right? Right. So right. if I'm going to roll the dice on, on 10,000 bucks, that's one series of <laughs> commitments around it if i'm gonna roll the dice with two hundred thousand, that's a whole different level for me anyway right, right. Uh, it's know, all relative, so, exactly yeah yeah and 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 you know when people are are looking at um you know investing a big portion of their life savings yeah they they gotta be really comfortable um i'm but i'm a bad person to ask because i like throw myself at stuff constantly <laughs> and, well, you and know, i don't I, do a lot of analysis you don't yeah see i do but it goes back to a couple of things here you've shared that are important to me that's one of the things that my partner balances me on right so my partner david begin who i've done a lot of businesses with he's more of the just go or go on a gut instinct and so we balance each other. That's how yeah. I, yeah. that's what helps me decide, okay, Henry, we've done enough analysis. Let's move forward. But to your point, the reality is what I always advise people is we can do all the analysis in the world and we still need a little bit of luck, a little bit of timing, right? And so there is a risk. So to your point, the size of the risk is what we have to look at individually. And as I always say, you know, what's the worst case scenario here? If the worst case scenario is, I've depleted my kid's college fund. I'm going to have to sell the house. I'm, I'm destitute. Well, then you are probably risking too much and you need to scale down <laughs> right. to get started. Right. Right. And that's perfectly okay. The gut instinct thing is a tricky one though, Mike, because that gut instinct is based on your years of experience that now, you know, you instinctively come to, is that fair? Yeah, yeah. totally. And, and, and gut instinct to me is all around people. Uh, and, and when you make investments, in my opinion, you're investing in, you're investing in the people that are involved and whether you believe in that they're going to be able to pull it off. And I'll, t I'll tell you, a, a, this is to me a, a great story. There's a, a VC firm here in town, very successful. And, you know, he likes, he's backed many companies. And when a successful team comes back to him in the future, that he's already backed in a different venture and presents a new venture, he like can't get his checkbook out quick enough. Right, right. Because because it's about the team and it's about yeah. the people and they've already done it and he's got faith in them, he's got confidence in them. And so when a founder comes back, when she brings him an idea, you know, it's it's uh, at that point he's all in. Like he doesn't even really care about the idea. And, this, and that to me is such a powerful thing to say uh, that it's about the people. And that's the gut instincts. It's about the people. People come to me all the time based on my book and based on my teaching this class. Hey, I've got this idea. What do you think of my idea? And I'm so reticent to give an opinion because I don't know, right? Like how am I supposed to know if that idea is going to work in the marketplace? But what I can analyze is I can analyze, I can analyze that person. And do I think they can take it to the next level? Do I think they can uh, perform building a business? Couldn't agree with you more, Mike. I think that's absolutely, I, it's the same thing for me when see people ask me, is this a great idea? I have no idea. I, I don't know. <laughs> right. 
you're going to have to validate that hopefully, but you're absolutely right. It's so it's about the person. And it's all yeah. of some of the things you've already shared as to those characteristics, characteristics that we need to have, the sacrifices that we're willing to make, the experiences that we bring to bear, how are we compensating for our weaknesses? That's what's important. Um, speaking about people, perfect segue to get your thoughts on this big topic that everybody talks about, the great resignation. You know, you through Bigby in particular, employ a lot of hourly waged employees in particular. And just that that uh, workforce has changed on us quite a bit. And I don't think it was because of COVID. I think COVID just exacerbated things. But, but talk to me a little bit about that and the challenge that everybody I talk to, all of my clients are having, which is not being able to hire enough people. Yeah. So big topic there, but, but what are your thoughts there? Well, I, I do some writing for Forbes and I've written a couple articles on this in the last, you know, six months. And it's a really complicated topic. And I take it from a more theoretical standpoint. Um, the conversation in the world seems to be around compensation and benefits. And, and I think that that's off the mark. Uh, and the reason it's off the mark is, is that everyone is paying these numbers, whether in, you know, a dollar here or a dollar there does not move the needle in relation to whether you're going to be able to employ people, you know, whether you're offering 15 or $16 an hour, that it's not going to change a thing in relation to uh, being able to hire somebody. Here's my take. It starts with leadership and it starts by leaders being willing to make an investment in people first. And here's the dynamic that's shifted in the last three years. Prior to the great resignation, there was this concept of, you know, I will give you a job, I will pay you X, I'll give you this benefit package, and you show up to work and you do a good job and you be loyal to me because I gave you this amazing job. Right. Okay. First of all, the jobs weren't that amazing. Yeah. And, because, and the environment was shitty, right? So you, you had to put up with that. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Yes. The environments were shitty. Management was terrible. Uh, but you better be loyal and, and you know, uh, shame on you if you're not going to be loyal to me. I provided you a job. Okay. So that was the mentality, you know, three, four, five, take it back forever. What's shifted now is people are like, nah, you know what? I don't want to work in your shitty environment. and you know what, I'm looking for a place that is uh, going to add value to who I am and what I'm doing and a place I can be proud of showing up to work. And, and so what I'm, what I'm saying uh, in the position I'm taking in the world and what I'm writing about is that as the leader, you need to make an investment in a person first, and then they'll decide if they want to be loyal to you and your organization. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a, a very significant flip in mentality. And so when you get somebody in, let's sit them down and talk about what you're going to do with them and how you're going to work with them to support them in building a beautiful life, a life that they love, uh, how this job can, can complement the way that they want to live within the world. Uh, and it's not just, it's not a transaction anymore. What it is, is that it's a relationship between two people and it's always been a relationship between two people. Uh, and, and that's what we need to do in order to get people to be loyal to and want to show up to work within your environment. Uh, 
And, and so, you know, for like, things that we do as a company, uh, one thing that we do is we, we offer uh, four different courses that are uh, available to people. They, they can sign up for the courses. We offer them quarterly and they're about stuff that you need to learn kind of as a young person in the world. But frankly, most people probably need to learn it uh, around like financial management, around vitality, around visioning around sense of belonging. You know, these are, these are the pillars that we believe you need to have in place in order to build a life you love. And so out of the gate, we make these available to you when you become a, an employee within our organization. And it's just, they're free. There's no charge, right? But it's about us supporting you. And, 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 you know, I think the other thing that we do is we offer coaching. So you uh, coaching once a month for an hour and it's around um, supporting you and building a life that you love. It's not around being a better employee. And that's a huge shift in mentality, right? Shift. Uh, and I think that the, the concept that we're working within is that if you go through a whole process and you, you know, like, like take our sabbatical program. So every five years of employment, you get three months off paid. And, and so let's say you go on sabbatical and you opt out, you decide Bigby coffee is not your thing. And, you know, you come back and you resign, you're going to get a firm handshake from us. You're going to get a thank you for everything you've done for us over the years. And we're going to wish you the best. And if you need anything, call us on your way out the door. And many managers would be like, oh my gosh, you mean to tell me you're okay with like investing all of this in these people and, 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 and then they may leave you in the end and you're just, you're left with that huge expense. And it's like, well, yeah, but imagine the person that goes through all the work that we provide them and they self-select into Bigby, that person's a superhero. That's the person I want to show up to work with every single day. It's the investment we're making first in them. And then they're deciding to be in, they're, they're electing to be a part of our organization. Yeah, I mean, and, and also if we're focused on, are they still going to leave me? Then I'm not genuinely making an investment in them. Am I? Right. If that's what I'm thinking about. Exactly. That's exactly right. And, and, you know, what we are trying to create is a, is a workplace that is nurturing and supportive of human beings. So they leave work at the end of the day, more invigorated when the, than when they showed up and it's called a loving environment. And what I would argue, Henry, is that high-performing teams throughout history have had managers that created these environments, but they've just never called it loving. They've never called it nurturing. They've never called it supportive. Right. But that's what's going on in those environments. So that's my take on what we need to do to live within the new, the new uh, environment after the great resignation and after what's going on, that's my take in terms of what leadership and management needs to be doing. Yeah, that makes sense. It's got to be now a whole nother level of challenge to permeate this throughout a franchise organization where you have independent owners. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we make it all available. Uh, franchise owners, they can, they can opt in. Uh, they don't have to, of course, uh, they can make it available to their people. They don't have to. Um, but, you know, we, we find that those that do get a lot of value. And so it's going to be a long game. You know, we're, you know, five, 10 years from now, we certainly expect that a lot of our franchise owners will be involved in this work and will be supporting it and, and be engaged. Uh, and, and, you know, if they opt not to, that's, that's, 
you know, that's their prerogative. Yeah. All right. Let's just talk a little bit more about Big B Coffee. One question about franchising. I've been a franchise owner. I am currently a minority partner in a franchise. So I have a lot of strong opinions about franchises. But in your experience for Big B, what are some of the characteristics? And maybe there's some of the same we've already talked about, Mike, but some of the characteristics that can lead to being a successful franchise owner. Uh, a successful franchisee or for successful franchisee franchisee. franchisee okay. Yeah. So, I mean, we talked about owner operated, right? So that's a requirement for you and that involvement early on. Certainly they have to be willing to do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think to me, you know, I just had a, a real close friend of mine uh, buy into a franchise, uh, not, not big, be a different one. And, and, you know, I, I was talking to him about it and I, and I said, listen, um, he, he wasn't going to go to their annual meeting. You know, and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, what the heck yeah. are you doing? Like you have like that's it's really important. And, and he was like, well, I mean, I'm just going to go sit through these classes. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's not about the no, classes. No. It's about what I this is what I told him to do. I said, listen, call somebody at the, the headquarters and ask them that you have a relationship with there. Ask them to give you the five, six, seven most powerful, most successful franchisees in the network. And they'll give them to you. Everybody knows, course. Course. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then I said, when you go to that annual meeting, I want you to introduce yourself and build a relationship with those five, seven, 10 different franchisees. And these are the people that you want to associate yourself with. These are the people that you want to hang out with. These are the people you want to call when you have a problem. And so he did. Uh, and that to me is, is a critical part to leveraging a franchise is is building relationships within the franchise network with the successful franchisees. Yeah, that network is so powerful. So the characteristic there is I have to be willing, I have to be the type of person that sees the value in that and seeks that out, or I have to learn to do that if I'm not. Yeah, yeah. It's the community of the franchise itself uh, is critical to, uh, in leveraging that, right? Um, so, so I think that that's a really important uh, piece of it. And then I, you know, I told him, I said, when you get invited to be involved in things within the franchise community, whether it's sit on a committee or, you know, weigh in on something, I said, do it, right. Do it. Like you learn by sitting on these committees with people from the, the home office and uh, franchise owners and so on. To me, that's, that's an important way to leverage again, uh, what you, what you've put in there, uh, or what you signed up for, I guess, is a better way to say that, you know, and then, the other thing that I always coach my franchisees coming in, I said, listen, treat the first two years of owning this business as if you're going back to graduate school mm -hmm. on how to run this business. Don't, don't worry about improving it. Don't worry about fixing it. Don't worry. About, just, just learn it, right? Then once you've learned it and you're operating it, then at that point, then you can bring value to the community by bringing improvements and so on. Yeah. So many people that get involved in franchises, they come with a very experienced skill set. They, they made enough money to buy a franchise, <laughs> right? right? So they, they've done something well in their life to be able to do that. And so they bring that and then that overpowers their experience of learning how to execute. Yeah, because, because you come into it fighting it from day one. You have right. to embrace. That's why you made this investment in a franchise, right? You did your due diligence. Now yeah. in, be open-minded and embrace it and learn. Yeah. Before you start saying, it. oh, we should change learn this or it. we should add that. Just learn it first. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. And so, because what I tell people is, listen, this system is not my partners and I, you know, it's not our system anymore. It's all of ours. Mm. And there's, you know, we have over 200 franchise owners that have, have brought all kinds of brilliance to this system. So if you think as an individual that you're smarter than those 200 people that have been doing this for decades, you're not <laughs> right. Like that's right. just, it's just a naive position. Now that's right. that, that doesn't mean that, you know, a few years down the road that you can't weigh in, sit on a committee, help influence, like, of course, like that's that, but, but just come in and learn it first. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't be struggle. arrogant about coming in. Yeah. Don't fight it and don't be arrogant yeah. about it. No? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you want us to know about the Big B Coffee opportunity? Well, I mean, you know, I love the business. Um, it's such a fun business. Uh, no, I, you know, people that are interested in, in a, a coffee franchise, you know, they'll find us at this point, you know, it, 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 we're big enough. And, and then it really becomes, you know, I've always told people, I don't sell franchises. What I do is I, I present what we do and how we do it and our culture and our norms to people. And then if, if that lines up with them and, and they feel good about that, then, you know, we want to consider them moving forward with us. I'm not trying to convince anybody to do it. And, no, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it, you know, a franchise, it's uh, what, you know, people will oftentimes ask me, you know, Hey, how much money can I make doing this? <laughs> and I'm like, I, you know, I don't know. Right. Like I, like how, who are you going to be when you show up to work every single day? And, you know, if you want me to tell you how much money you're going to make, how about we flip that around? And I say, listen, I got 25 years and 90, 5% of my net worth wrapped up in this business. How about you tell me how many cups of coffee you're going to sell? And I'll decide if I want you as a franchisee period. Right. Yeah. And, and how does it, as you learn about it, it align with where you want to go yeah. and how does it align with who you are now and where you want to go in the future? Yeah. 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 But franchising is incredible. It's a powerful mechanism. It sure is. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about books. You know, as you mentioned, you're, you're a big reader. Again, the book that we've been referring to, that Mike uh, authored is called Grind, a no BS approach to take your business from concept to cash flow. Is there another book that comes to mind that you could recommend as well? Well, you mentioned it earlier. I mean, I'm a huge advocate of Michael Gerber's book, E-Myth. That's no mystery for anybody out there uh, looking to be an entrepreneur. You know, there's a book called uh, called Mindset. Um, Oh, shoot. It's, I can't, I can't remember the name of the author. Uh, Mindset's a, a really powerful book in relation to getting your, your brain in the right space uh, to have positive impact and positive impact on your business and, and so on. There's also a book, Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. Uh, it's a really powerful book in relation to management uh, and, uh, and leadership. Um, those, are, those three, you know, I, I, whenever I meet with people, I, a lot of times I'll walk away from a meeting and I'll, I'll um, send them a book afterward that something that I think would be powerful for them after the conversation that we had. And those are, those three books are probably the books I send them, send them most uh, is, is uh, multipliers uh, mindset and then the e-myth. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks for those recommendations. We'll have links to all three of them, including Mike's book uh, on the show notes page of this episode at the how all right, Mike, we'll wrap it up here. What's, what's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation that we had? And we talked, we touched on a lot of different things, 
But as it relates to the, the journey of a business, I think that was probably the, the heart of the focus of the conversation and everything that it entails. What's one thing you want us to take away? Well, I think the one thing I want people to take away, and I, I talk to my students about this, is like entrepreneurship is not hard. It, any individual piece of it is not hard. Now, when you add them all up together, <laughs> it can get pretty complicated, right? But, 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 you know, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing and you can do it, right? Like that's the, was really what I wanted the message of my book to be, which is I, I am not, I am not special, right? I mean, I'm a, I was a C student. I, you know, I, I screw things up all the time. I'm not a detail guy. I, you know, it's like, it's like, I am not special and I was able to do it. And so can you. And, and, I, I, I really believe that, right. That, um, you know, if you read my book and you, you, you approach it from, from that perspective, anybody can do this. And I believe that, but it's about understanding yourself and understanding how you need to, to complement yourself and then how you need to leverage your strengths in order to be successful, but anybody can do it. I love that. You know, when you first said that, I said, well, wait a second, but there is a lot of hard work, but to what you're relating to is that this isn't, you know, the type of hard work or mental capacity or education that it takes to put a rocket into orbit, right. right. It's not rocket science. It's not rocket I science. always say yeah. that it is yeah. not, nothing is, nothing is really complicated. Uh, the complicated stuff is when you add it all up together. That's right. At one moment, it can yeah. be, it can be absolutely overwhelming. And at that to your point. point, anybody can do this, yeah. right? If you are willing to put in the hard work, the effort, the dedication, the openness to learning, anybody can do it if they want it. Absolutely. Yep. That's my, I believe that too. I believe that in my soul. Yeah. Beautifully said. All right. Where do you want us to go online to find out more? Well, the social media is uh, uh, LinkedIn and, and, and uh, Instagram and so on is where I put a lot of content up. Probably LinkedIn is the best place to reach me uh, as an individual. But then, of course, you know, Big B is BigB.com, 2Gs, B-I-G-G-B-Y.com. That's where you can find my company. And then uh, GrindTheBook.com is the website for, uh, for my first book. And my second book will be coming out. And I'd love to, I think you'd enjoy that conversation, Henry. I'd love to do that with you when the other book comes out, because that takes us a little bit out of the, the particulars of uh, startup and a little bit more into managing. Absolutely. Yeah. We'd love to have you back. What time frame are, is it uh, going to be Should coming be, out? Do you think uh, this coming spring? So just under a year. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. We'd definitely have you back on Mike. Great conversation. Thanks for sharing all of this knowledge. It's inspirational and educational. I appreciate you taking the time to be with me today. My pleasure, Henry. It's been a blast. You're very good at this. Thank you. I appreciate that. This is Henry Lopez. And thanks for joining me on this episode of the how of business. My guest today again was Mike McFall. I release new episodes every Monday morning. You can find me anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.